Hello and welcome to the next episode of How Good It Is, a show that takes a closer look at popular songs from the rock and roll era and we check out some of the stories behind those songs and the artists who made them famous, sure enough. My name is Claude Cole and I have returned to South Carolina for one more weekend, but I managed to plan ahead this time. Ooh, don't forget to check out the website, howgooditis.com, where you can find some stuff that I found interesting and some other things that don't necessarily fit well into the podcast. Also, go follow and uh, like the show's Facebook page, which has some other stuff that'll keep you busy. It'll, you can find that over at facebook.com slash howgooditispod. I know I've been a little bit lax on putting stuff on the Facebook page. It's because of that running back and forth between... Uh, here in South Carolina, but I promise after Labor Day weekend, I will be back in full force, okay? Well, you know what's going to happen now. I'm going to go geeking out over Podcast Republic with the delayed deletion and the syncing across platforms, which works way better than I thought it would. And oh, oh, here's something I haven't mentioned. When I'm in the car, say, and I'm listening to podcasts and I have to like get out to run into the convenience store, I hit the pause button, right? The podcast actually backs up a few seconds to help me get back into context when I get back in the car. It's a cool little feature that I I don't think I've seen it anywhere else. Anyway, you can go get Podcast Republic in the Google Play Store, or you can click the button on the uh, How Good It Is homepage, all right? Let's start the show with a trivia question. So tell me, please, what do the following songs have in common? Ready? We have The Dock of the Bay by Otis Redding, Norwegian Wood by The Beatles, Satisfaction by the Rolling Stones, Break On Through by The Doors, and Rocket Man by Elton John. Again, what did those songs have in common? The Dock of the Bay, Norwegian Wood, Satisfaction, Break On Through, and Rocket Man. And I'll give you a hint, it doesn't have anything to do with the music side of things. I will have the answer at the end of the show. Alice Cooper was a band before there was a guy known as Alice Cooper. Legend had it that the band's name came from a session the band had with a Ouija board when they communicated with a witch from the 17th century. Alice himself has said in a more recent interview that while it was a great story, it was in fact just an urban legend and they chose the name because it sounded kind of bland and wholesome, which contrasted sharply with their image and music. There was a character on the show, I think it was Bewitched, played by Alice Ghostly, and her name was Alice Cooper. No, no, not Bewitched, um, Andy Griffith's show. And her name was Alice Cooper, and maybe it's a coincidence. I'm not sure. But the, the TV connection did has come up from time to time. Anyway, the man Alice Cooper was born Vincent Fernier on uh, February 4th, 1948 in Detroit, Michigan. When he was a teenager, the family moved to Phoenix, Arizona. And while in high school, he got together with some of his fellow cross-country teammates to form a band for the school's talent show. The teammates were Glenn Buxton, Dennis Dunaway, John Tatum, and John Spear. And they called themselves the Earwigs, which sounds a little bit weird on its surface, but this was 1964, and for the purposes of the talent show, they were consciously imitating the Beatles. Even though the Buxton was the only one who could actually play an instrument, they got a great response from their fellow students and they wound up winning the talent show. This encouraged them to buy some actual instruments from a local pawn shop and learn how to play. Their musical inspirations then uh, included the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, the Who, the Kinks, and the Doors. They called themselves the Spiders, and they performed all over Phoenix with a giant spider web as a backdrop. 
A year later, the Spiders recorded their first record, a faithful cover of the Blackwell song, Why Don't You Love Me, which has a definite Mercy Beat sound to it. In 1966, after they graduated high school, Michael Bruce replaced John Tatum at the rhythm guitar position, and they released their next record, Don't Blow Your Mind, which has a much punkier sound to it. By the end of 1967, Neil Smith was the band's drummer, and they'd moved to Los Angeles and renamed themselves the Naz. Unfortunately for them, that was the name of Todd Rundgren's band, so they had to come up with something else. Uh, Vince decided that the band needed some kind of gimmick in order to succeed, and that's when they came up with the Alice Cooper name. Now let me jump ahead in the timeline for a moment to note that it was in 1975, after the band had pretty much broken up, that Fernier legally changed his name to Alice Cooper with the blessing of the rest of the band. It was an amicable split for the group because they, they just decided they'd gone about as far as they could go as a group, and they went out pretty much on top. All right, so let me go back to the band Alice Cooper. The first two albums didn't do very well at all, and all their live shows in California area were not getting much traction either. So they moved to Pontiac, Michigan, uh, where the locals were already listening to bands like the Stooges and the MC5. It was in the fall of 1970 that they put together their third album, Love It to Death, and the single I'm 18 was their first real success, reaching number 21 on the Billboard Hot 100 by January of 1971. Warner Brothers took notice and bought the band's contract, and then they re-released the album on their label. By this point, uh, Alice Cooper had managed to sharpen their image as a kind of gothic horror band, with Alice himself as kind of a sexless, not really sexless, more like androgynous uh, villain who posed a threat to their society. It was the following year that Cooper was inspired by a couple of different things. He's told the story on his uh, syndicated radio program that one of them was a line from the old Bowery Boys movies. Now, for those of you who don't know, the Bowery Boys movies were a series of comedies from the 1940s and 50s, featuring these tough young guys who kept running into trouble. And in the 60s and 70s, the movies were usually seen on local TV stations on weekend mornings. And with 48 movies in the catalog, both stations could run them for a long time without having to repeat very often. At any rate, in one film that Cooper saw, a character named Satch does something dumb, which prompts another character to say, Hey, Satch, school's out, meaning, hey, smarten up. Cooper liked the way that phrase sounded, and he used it in the song. The other inspiration, and a lot of people know about this, came from answering the question, what's the greatest three minutes of your life? Cooper said there are two times during the year. One is Christmas morning, when you're just getting ready to open the presents. The greed factor is right there. The next one is the last three minutes of the last day of school, when you're sitting there, and it's like a slow fuse burning. I said, if we can catch that three minutes in a song, it's going to be so big. Well, Glenn Buxton came up with the opening riff for the song, 
And Michael Bruce, along with Alice Cooper, wrote the rest of the song, although everybody reportedly contributed a little something. And in fact, each member of the band has a writing credit on this song. School's Out became the title track of Alice Cooper's fifth album, and the album cover was a photograph of an old-fashioned student's desk with the hinged-up top. Uh, the band members had each carved either their initials or their names into the desktop, and the album title was graffitied in one corner. But the band carried the concept just a little bit further. What if a kid lifted up the desktop after a weekend? What sort of crazy things would he find inside? Well, these were the questions that they started hacking out with Greg Braun, the graphic designer who worked on the album cover. Cooper had an idea. Wrap the record itself in a pair of pink panties instead of a dust cover. It was true to the Alice Cooper formula. Kids would love it, parents would hate it. The whole concept changed so that the whole cover would open up just like a school desk from bottom to top. You'd find the record wrapped in pink, white, or blue paper panties. Over 100,000 albums went out just like that before it was banned by the Federal Trade Commission because the panties weren't fireproof. I don't know how many fires you're lighting down there anyway, but oh, whatever. Nowadays, you'll spend a couple of hundred bucks on one of those albums, and as far as the desk, well, you can actually see that. It's in the Hard Rock Cafe in Las Vegas. So there are two different versions of the song. The single is a slightly sped-up version of the album version, but it's also in mono. Plus, the endings are different. Now, most people know the stereo version from the album with the turning off sound effect. However, the mono single mix has just a simple fade to it. just fading out and all this the, the, the children cheering at the end reminds me to talk about the children's chorus on the record that was put together by producer bob ezrin who just liked the idea of having children sing on a song about school and if you're skeptical of that claim let me point out that the guy who's responsible for this Well, he's also responsible for this 1979 recording. Out has been covered a bunch of times and it's also appeared in commercials, one of them featuring Alice Cooper himself. And it's also been used in TV shows and in a few movies. But there's one movie where it makes a notable non-appearance. Alice Cooper was supposed to play both Schools Out and I'm 18 in the film Wayne's World. 
But Cooper's manager, Shep Gordon, talked Mike Myers into using Feed My Frankenstein instead. Myers was impressed enough with Gordon's approach that they became friends afterwards, and he later directed a documentary about Gordon titled Supermensch, The Legend of Shep Gordon. School's Out, the single, went to number seven on the Billboard Hot 100, and it went even higher in a bunch of European nations, taking the top spot in the UK for three weeks. It's been ranked by Rolling Stone at number 319 on their list of the 500 greatest songs of all time, and The Guardian has listed it as number three on their list of the best 20 glam rock songs of all time. But I think Alice Cooper himself summed it up best a few years ago when he was interviewed for Esquire magazine when he said he'd become the Francis Scott Key of the last day of school. Okay, it's time to answer the trivia question. Back on page two, I asked you what were the following songs had in common? Once again, the songs are The Dock of the Bay by Otis Redding, Norwegian Wood by The Beatles, Satisfaction by The Rolling Stones, Break On Through by The Doors, and Rocket Man by Elton John. The answer is that while most people know those to be the titles of the songs, the entire title includes something else in parentheses. So the full title of Otis Redding's song is Sitting on the Dock of the Bay, with the words Sitting on in parentheses. Norwegian Wood has the words This Bird Has Flown in parentheses. The full title of the Rolling Stones tune is I Can't Get No Satisfaction. Break On Through is followed by To the Other Side in parentheses. And you might not believe this one, but if you look at the label, you'll see that the full title of Rocket Man includes the bracketed words I think it's going to be a long, long time. And that's it for this edition of How Good It Is. If you want to get in touch with the show, well, you can email us at howgoodpodcast at gmail.com or you can follow the show on Twitter at howgooditispod. You can also visit, like, and follow the show's Facebook page. Do more at facebook.com slash howgooditispod or you can check out the show's website, howgooditis.com, where you might find a few extra bits. Thanks, as usual, to Podcast Republic for featuring the show. And uh, next time around, you know what? I don't have anything planned, so I'm going to have to come up with something good for you, okay? Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you then. Mm-hmm.